Man, thank you so much for allowing me to be here this morning, for allowing me to just to give you a spill. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Pastor David, and uh, I used to be on staff here at Church of Cane Bay. I was here from the years of uh, 2014 up until about March of this year, and uh, our time together is coming to a close, and I've just had a lot of time lately to reflect and think about how it all started for us in church at Cane Bay. Uh, it, just over a few conversations at a Cadoba down the road, and they wanted us to come and be a part of it. And now as I'm transitioning and helping out with the building and seeing what's happening for church at Cane Bay, but being sent out, if you would have ever told me that it would have played out the way that it has, I would have called you uh, a liar. <laughs> I would have said, there's absolutely no way that it's going to play out that way. So uh, just incredible about how God works, how God um, moves, how God puts things on people's hearts, and uh, just just thrilled um, about how things are going. So uh, if you don't mind this morning, I, I like to, it's really cool for me to preach this sermon with two audiences in mind. Uh, preaching a sermon, one to church at Cane Bay, but if you don't mind, I'd also like to preach uh, to Creekside Church this morning, uh, if you don't mind, because I think that we're both, as you hopefully know, we're both getting ready to experience major changes in our existence, both Church at Cane Bay and both Creekside Church getting ready to uh, go into monumental changes into uh, the fabric of who we are. Uh, we're both headed towards that with Church at Cane Bay moving into a building and with Creekside Church moving into a Sunday morning service uh, starting in January. And I just can't help but think that with these celebrations, a celebration of launch, and there's going to be so much happiness and joy that all the things that we've worked for up until this point are coming to fruition. We can see it with our eyes. And all the things that have been worked for with the building, there's going to be so much joy there and all the hard work that has paid off, the, the blood, the sweat, and Pastor Joel's tears. It's all coming to an end and it's going to pay off. Um, and I'm, I think that we must remember with these celebrations come much temptation. That with these celebrations of launch and with the celebration of, of moving into a permanent facility, that we are tempted to believe that this is the pinnacle of who we are, that we have reached our uh, we've reached it. We've arrived. We're here. And that is a great temptation that we must avoid. You see, a building for church at Cane Bay and a launch, having services on Sunday morning for Creekside Church, you see, that is not the end. That is not the goal that we're striving for. Rather, it is a means to an end. For Creekside, our launch is not the end. In many ways, it's the beginning, but it stands as a means to an end. And for Cane Bay, likewise, moving into a building is not the end, but it is a means to an end. And if we're not careful this morning, we could miss out on what is the most important times in our history as churches. If we're not careful, we could miss out on what is the most important times of our history. 
And so as we enter into this season, as we, as we enter and move into these next places of, of ministry for our churches, let's enter in with a word of caution. Let's enter in uh, that it's not the end, but rather it is a means to that end. You know, there was a team in the Bible that got it wrong. There was a team in Scripture that thought they had reached the end, but really they misunderstood the times. They had not reached the end. Rather, they had reached a means to an end like we have. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 122, the book of Psalms. They taught me this in school whenever I was growing up. Not school, Sunday school. Just If you want to find the Psalms, just open your Bible right in the middle. And if you're good, it'll be right there. Psalms directly in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 122. Psalm 122. Last week, we, we started off this new series called Psalm of Ascent. Psalm of Ascent. As we are getting ready, figuratively moving into these big seasons of change and, and kind of a, a new way of doing ministry, we want to spend this time together worshipful as we're kind of ascending. And this particular psalm, Psalm 122, in this particular series that we're going through, uh, is, known for, is known as the Psalms of Ascent. As the Israelites were ascending the mountain in particular times of the year, they would ascend to the mountain up into Jerusalem to make sacrifices, at, uh, to make sacrifices unto God. This is where God's presence was. And as they're getting ready to go up to the mountain, this was a happy time. Uh, they were joyful, and that's where we get the Psalms of Ascent. As they're climbing up the mountain, they're singing these joyous songs together in unison as a body. It is a, it is a beautiful thing here. So in Psalm 122, this is what they say, and I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and my companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now you see, this psalm of ascent is a little bit different. Normally, in the one that Pastor Will walked through last week, they're, they're actually ascending, but this one here is a little bit different. They're actually there. They've arrived. They're in Jerusalem, and it says that our feet have been standing within your gates. And so if you would, just imagine with me for just a second that the Israelites are there in Jerusalem. They're pilgrims, and they've made their way to the holy city, and they're there, and they're looking around, and they say, oh, I'm so, I was so glad when they said to me, let us go. Go to the house of the Lord. And they're looking around at this, this beautiful city that is, that is being built. And they say, this is fortified. This is good. And they say, ah, oh, it's just so good to be here in Jerusalem. It's good to be here. We've made it. For them, Jerusalem was a representation of everything that was right in the world. 
to be in that place, to, ha- to feel the solace of it. Everything that was right in the world was for them right there in Jerusalem. For them, it was like heaven on earth. It was like heaven on earth. It was a place where God dwelled, and it was a, a place of peacefulness. If you, just follow with me for just a second. Let's, let's kind of go through this. Passage. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I can't help but think for David and for the Israelites that whenever they're getting ready to go to this place, to holy Jerusalem, that in their minds, they're saying there is nothing better that we can do. There's nothing better that you can offer me than to go to Jerusalem, than to go to the place where God is. I can't help but think that sometimes we, maybe we've missed out on that a little bit. For David, there was nothing better than to be in the house of the Lord. And I think for our generation, sadly, we will go to the house of the Lord as long as there's nothing better to do on the calendar. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. You can see them standing there in Jerusalem. You can see them. This is bound firmly together and they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing in the refuge of God. They're rejoicing in God's refuge here. It is a fortress You have to think they are pilgrims, they are travelers, there is no guarantee that they will make it here alive. The roads are dangerous. There's many people that are on the path and they finally get here and they say, oh, there is safety here, there is solace here and they are rejoicing in God's refuge. It's not always guaranteed for them. And then he goes on, it says, there thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. It's kind of weird a little bit, but he's looking around and he says, oh, there's judgment here. This is good. There's a place of judgment here. You know, I think a lot of times our court system gets a uh, kind of a bad rap and sometimes rightfully so, but there are times whenever the law is executed and we look at justice and we say, man, that is so good that there is justice in the world. There's justice here. And so as David is here and they're looking around and they see, they see that there is judgment, that they're, they're, they're like holding court outside the city walls. They're holding court right outside the city walls. And anyone who has done wrong, they're put on judgment. They're put on trial. And according to their deeds, whatever has happened to them, uh, they will receive a right punishment for that. And so David's looking at it and he says, that is good. That is a good thing that there are thrones of judgment here. And they are rejoicing in God's rightness. They're rejoicing in God's rightness. They have followed God's law and they've, they're executing judgment on any wrongdoing. And, and so they see this and they are celebrating in the good that has happened here. You know, I think about my friend, Pastor Joel, who was just here. And for several years, they, they fought very hard on an adoption case. Uh, they fought for, I mean, two, three years that they fought to have children in their home. And I remember the, the last day when the decision was made and the, the judge said, yes, they are officially Ainsworths. 
that. There was joy in that. And they were excited and they were rejoicing and they were saying justice has been executed today and they are coming home with us. And there was rejoicing in God's rightness. You see, everything that was right about Jerusalem was right because they were, they were obedient to what God had said earlier in the law. And so there's happiness there. But then it goes on a little bit further. And he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within this city. Peace be within the walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and my companions sake, I will say peace be within these walls. Peace be within the city of Jerusalem. And it says, for your sake, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I will seek the good of Jerusalem because this is where the glory of God resides. And I will seek the good of Jerusalem because this is where my people will reign forever. If you can just imagine with me, he's looking at the beauty of Jerusalem and he, you can imagine with me for just a saying, he's saying, peace be to this place. Peace be in Jerusalem because he had been made a promise by God years and years and years before this that from his lineage, from the line of David would be a forever king. And so he's looking at Jerusalem and he's saying, peace be to this place because it's going to be my grandchildren's one day. Peace be to this place because my lineage, my, this will be a place for my family and for my ancestors and for my, my children forever. So peace be to Jerusalem. You can just imagine with me for just a second that that's what he's thinking. And so they're rejoicing in God's reign. They're rejoicing in God's reign here. They're looking at this city and they're rejoicing at it. They're joyous. Thank goodness that God has made me a promise and thank goodness that my offspring will be happy here forever. Peace be on this place. But if you know the history of what happens here, there's just one big problem. There's just one big problem with everything about this beautiful city. There's just one big problem with this beautiful psalm. There's one big problem with David's thinking here about how this city would last forever. You see, after a couple hundred years, after this psalm has been written and a couple hundred years after David is already gone, everything that they see here is just destroyed. Utter, like utter chaos, utter devastation, just destroyed. It wouldn't even resemble what they're seeing here. You see, in the year 586 BC, a group rose up called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians came into town and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed, uh, they destroyed everything that they knew here. They grabbed the Israelites and they brought them and held them captive for years and years and years. And everything that they had just celebrated, everything that they had just worshiped, everything that they had known about Jerusalem, gone, gone. A place of worship no more. And they were held as captives in the land of Babylon. And then it got even worse as 
the Babylons moved out and a whole new group called the Assyrians took over the Babylons. And they're like, they thought it was gonna get better for a little while, but then the Assyrians come in and they hold them captive too. And it's like, we, th- we thought there was hope and they're held captive by another group. And history just continues to repeat itself. And because of Israel's sin, they were held captive by Babylon and that led to the Assyrians, which then led to the Romans. And that's where we pick up in the New Testament and that they're held captive by the Romans, a homeland no more, a place to worship no more. And they're just without hope. What has happened to our kingdom? What has happened to our lineage? Our offspring were supposed to worship in Jerusalem forever. What has happened? And you see, the worst part about this narrative, the worst part about what happens here from the Psalms, you see the beauty and they're worshiping and they're happy about what is Jerusalem. And then for years and hundreds of years, God is just silent towards them. God is silent towards the Israelites and their sin has so furthered them away that they don't even hear from God for years, for years. Make no mistake about it, it was their own wrongdoing that led them to this mistake, but there's, there's no hope for the Israelites. There's no hope and there's, there is no hope for rescuing. There is no hope for refuge. There's no hope for rightness. And there is certainly no hope for a king to reign for them. And no one mentions the word kingdom. In their society, in this group, they had grown up, they're remembering yesteryear. They remembered what used to be. And no one mentions the word kingdom. No one talks about it. There's no happiness. There's no hope for a kingdom. There's no hope for what they hope for in the Psalms. No one mentions the word kingdom. That is until a man shows up around 30 years old. And in Mark 1, we see where this man named Jesus rises up and he starts preaching this word about a kingdom. And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. And there they have this, who is this guy? Who is this man talking about a new kingdom? And so Jesus comes in and he ushers in a new kingdom. He shows up and he announces the kingdom with his words and he demonstrates the kingdom with his deeds and he embodies the kingdom with his life. Everything about Psalm 122 that we see here, the the resting in Jerusalem, the greatness, the reign, everything that they see here is not even, it doesn't even happen again until Jesus shows up on the scene. And the bottom line is this. What David wanted in Jerusalem, we have in the kingdom of Jesus. You can react to that. What David wanted in Jerusalem, we have in the kingdom of of Jesus. You see, they were here in this moment and the promise had, had, had come, but it had not been fulfilled. And they lived in what we call the already, but not yet 
They had already been given a promise. And just like we live in what I would call the already but not yet, we have been given a promise. Our salvation has been fulfilled. Jesus has said what will be of our future, but just not yet. We live in the already. We've already been saved, but we also live in the not yet. Jesus is king, and his kingdom will fully come to fruition just one day. You see, Jerusalem was not the end, but it was a foreshadowing of Christ and his reign forever. David's reign pointed to the reign of Christ. David's reign as king pointed to what would be Jesus Christ. And Jerusalem, this holy city, points not to a building, not even to a church, but holy city Jerusalem points towards the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we look now at Jesus just as the Israelites looked at Jerusalem and they say everything that is right in the world is because of this place. We look towards Jesus and his kingdom and we say everything that is right in the world is because of Jesus and his kingdom. You see, the kingdom of King Jesus is the end and everything else is just a means to that end. The kingdom and King Jesus is the end. That is the goal. Everything else is just a means to that end. David did not realize that it was not about him as being king, that it was not him who would last forever on the throne, but that it would be his great, 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 great grandson and King Jesus. He did not realize that his reign was a means to an end which was the reign of Jesus. Just as Jerusalem and the holy city that was built, they had no idea that it was just a means to usher in what we now know and experience as the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so a building for Cain Bay is a means to display the kingdom of God to the people in this community. It is a means to that end. That building over there, whenever you look at it, don't look at it any differently than you would look at a toolbox in your tool shed because all it is is a means to an end. It is a tool to help us reach our community. It's a tool. That's really what it is. And so that day, that that grand opening December 3rd, which is my mama's birthday, she's going to be in town. December 3rd, she's going she's gonna to be here and we're in that building. We're celebrating and we're, we're so excited and we're so happy about what's going on in this new place. Guess what? Whatever takes place in the building is nowhere near as important as what takes place outside of the building. Let us never forget that. And if we have to meet in an elementary school forever so that we can understand that, then maybe we should. Maybe we should because it is just a means to an end. And a launch service for Creekside Church, guess what? We'll celebrate, we'll be happy, and hopefully there will be a ton of people there. But guess what? Whatever takes place in that building is nowhere near as important as what takes place outside of that building. It is a means to an end. Our church, this, is a means to an end. What you see here is a means to an end. It's not the end. The end is the kingdom of Jesus. 
It's not about us. It never has been and it never will be. It's not about us, not about a building, not even about a church service on Sunday morning, but we can rest confidently in the kingdom of Jesus. And so how should we live with this? We should live exactly as the Israelites did here in Jerusalem as they're looking towards this holy city. We have the same response. We have the same the same message, we receive the same exact things that they did here, and we can rejoice in God's refuge. We can rejoice in the refuge of God. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, and forever, there is nothing that can snatch you from the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There is nothing, there is no one who will knock our king off his throne. And there is no one that can snatch you from his hand. You see, I think that now and today, especially, we as Christians, we, we experience this and we love this and you might even experience fellowship with the Lord in your quiet time in the morning and then you turn on the news and really, it is bad. It's just as bad as we think it is. And we see shootings in Las Vegas, and we hear about riots in the street, and we hear about division and people not loving each other over silly, stupid things. And we get discouraged, and we forget that in Christ and in his kingdom, we have a forever refuge. And we have a place that will not ever go away ever. And you see, these pilgrims here in, in Psalm 122, they're pilgrims and they, they probably felt safe in the refuge of Jerusalem, but they never forgot that they were pilgrims. They knew that they were going to have to return home in the morning. They knew that they were going to have to go back down the mountain, through the trails, through the woods, encountering whomever it would be. They knew that they had to travel home into chaos and into danger. And I want to tell you this this morning, that we live in chaotic times. We do. But in the kingdom of Christ, we have refuge. And there is nothing or no one who can snatch you from Jesus' hand. And there's beauty in that. But not only do we find refuge and we rejoice in that, and I hope that you do rejoice in the refuge of Jesus, but we also rejoice in God's rightness. We rejoice in the rightness of the kingdom. Just as I said a minute ago, everything that is right in the world is right because of Jesus and his kingdom. And so we as the church should stand just as they did outside the city walls, executing judgment, executing justice. The church should be one of the biggest advocates in all of the world. I'll go back and rephrase that. We should be the biggest advocate in the world for justice and God's rightness. We should be the, the ambassadors before the world, sent by God saying, no, that is not right. 
Our African-American brothers and sisters, they should know from the church that sometimes the way they are treated is not right. They should know it. We should be the voices for the voiceless. There should not be anybody in our circle of accountability who goes to bed tonight hungry. There should not be anyone who goes in our community, in our circle, there should not be any child left behind because of foster care or adoption. As the church, we have to be the voices because no one else is going to be. We have to do this. You see, the thing about Jerusalem is that Jerusalem had limits. It had limitations. There were boundaries. There were places that you could go, and there were places where you would step outside the city walls. It is different with the kingdom of Jesus because there are no limitations because the kingdom of Jesus lives inside of you. It lives within you. There is nowhere that the kingdom of God cannot be on display because the kingdom of God is on display in and through your life. That office that you go to tomorrow, it may be dark and it may, it may be something that you cannot stand, but guess what? As a bearer of the kingdom, you are sent there to spread the message and the name of Jesus. In your neighborhood where you live, it is not by coincidence that you live there, but you live there as a representation of the kingdom of Jesus. It goes with you wherever you go because Jesus lives inside of you. And so as image bearers and as representation of the kingdom of Jesus... Let us, stand, let us stand tall and let us stand hard for justice. Let us execute that. Let nobody else in our culture and in our society, we live in a society, we live in a day and an age where everybody wants to stand for something. Am I right? Everybody wants to stand for something. Let the thing that you stand for be the kingdom of Jesus. And let the thing that you stand for be the message of the gospel. And the gospel causes everything in our world perspectives, everything to change. And everywhere we go, we represent his kingdom. Therefore, let us seek the good of those around us. And you see, this is not where it ends. They go on and they say, let it be this way forever. And so I hope that you are rejoicing in God's reign. You're rejoicing in God's reign, in Christ and in his kingdom. We have something that will never pass away. Don't miss me. In Christ and in his kingdom, we have something that will never pass away. Even at death, when we hit the grave, that is not the end, but that is the beginning whenever we are reunited with King Jesus and entered into his kingdom forever. 
And so this morning, I have to ask your, your joy in your heart, are you rejoicing in God's forever reign? Are you rejoicing in the reign of Jesus that will be here for years and centuries and centuries and millennia all time? Jesus will be here as our king. You see, he is king not just because of anything that we have done. He's not just king because someone has, has given him that, but God. You see, because Jesus died and he was really dead, like fully dead for three days. He went before the cross for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, so that we might know him. And after being dead for three days, resurrected from the dead. Do that again, somebody who did that. He resurrected from the dead. Like, what are you sad about? If we can't do that here, we're not gonna do it anywhere else. He is alive. Jesus Christ, alive forevermore. And what they had in Jerusalem was a city that they said, we want this to last forever. We have that. And it is beautiful. And if you're here this morning without Christ, not knowing his kingdom, let me just implore you. Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, now seats on the throne with a crown at the right hand of the Father. And forever... We will be there with him in his kingdom. I don't feel like I've convinced you. I want to convince you more. Go Revelation 21. Revelation 21. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Revelation 21, just a beautiful picture of the end. Whenever Christ is given the keys to the kingdom and there is nothing, there's no sin in the world, there's no evil in the world, he's done away with it all. And at the very end, let me, let me just foreshadow for you just a little bit how you will spend your days Years and years ahead. If you have your Bibles, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The things that you're doing here in this world, guess what? They're going to pass away. They're going to pass away. The status, even college football, your job, your money, where you live, what people think of you, what that coworker says about you, your legacy, it's all gone. The building is gone. Church of Cane Bay is gone. Creekside Church, it's gone. A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Read this with me. And I saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. There's no Babylonians coming to destroy. There's no Romans reigning over the Israelites. This is a new city where there is no sin, where there is no death, where there is no decay, where there is no sadness, where there is no heartbreak, where there is no angst and fear. A new city, a holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband as that bride walks down the aisle, coming down to the groom. We as a church will be presented as members of his kingdom. We will be presented to our king forever just as that bride's walking down the aisle. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Read this with me. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. Let's do that again. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. I'm not convinced. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death, oh, it stings, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is in the new city, holy Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And I pray, Father, that as king of the kingdom, that we put you in that rightful place that we would be people who stand in security of your refuge, who would not be silent, and that we would force your rightness upon this broken and sinful world, and that we would rejoice in your reign forevermore. 